could there ever be, do you think there could ever be a golden age where everything works out right? I mean, is it possible to have a world that is dominated by righteousness and goodness, where there's no court system because there's no crime, where there's no hospitals because there's no disease, where there's no um, uh, counseling because there's no sin? Could there be a time when things that are true, that are right, and noble mark every area of life, including our relationships with our mom and dad or with our kids or with our boss or with our friends. I mean, imagine where, a place where it would be so noble and so right and so true that even politics were good. In fact, imagine a place where they didn't even need to be any politics. Wouldn't that be an awesome, awesome thing? Imagine a world where peace and love and joy really do Abound. I, I, growing up, I grew up on the love, joy, and peace of the early 70s, and I thought we'd left it behind, but I was sitting in my office this week. I think it was Tuesday. Now, Carly Ann's four, so she's just figuring out this coloring thing, and, she's, and we're sitting in my office, and she's sitting over at the table, and she says, Dad, look at my pieces. I thought, what is she talking about? She says, Dad, look at all my pieces. I got all these different colors, and she had learned evidently... She learned how to draw a peace sign in, in vacation Bible school. I don't know how that works, but anyway. So she's got a whole line, and she'd have read these little peace symbols. She called them pieces, you know. And uh, But imagine a world where peace was everywhere. Imagine a world where love abounded and where joy was the actual thing. I mean, have you ever thought about what it would be like? To live in the Garden of Eden. Sometimes go to, go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and just kind of read. And just kind of read there and just imagine what it would be like to be in a place where everything was, was fair game and everything was perfect and everything was really cool. I, I heard this story this week and uh, maybe you can appreciate it. But, but the, the story, as the story goes, when Cain and Abel were little boys, uh, they were out roaming the, the area. You know how little boys do. Those of you that have little boys, you know what I'm talking about. They're out looking around and playing and running. And so one morning they found this wall. And like little boys, they decided they'd climb up because they wanted to see what was behind the wall. And sure enough, they climbed up and they looked over the wall. And behind the wall was the Garden of Eden. And man, it was, they saw all the trees and they saw the fruit and the, you know, and all the stuff. And, and it was the coolest place and the river flowing. And they were just like, man, that is awesome. And so they ran home and they said to Adam, they said, Dad, Dad, we saw this. We found this wall today and it was the neatest place, man. We looked at it. Dad, this is the coolest place. Do you ever think we could like live there? And Adam looked at his sons and he says, well, boys, we used to live there, but then your mom ate us out of house and home. <laughs> so we can't go back. Now, obviously, it was as much Adam's fault as it was Eve, so I'm not picking on Eve. But, but think about what it would be like to be in a place where everything was perfect. Well, the Bible says there's coming a day and there's coming a time when, when things are the way they really should be, and it's referenced here in the book of Revelation. And so I want to read this passage of scripture, and then I'm going to kind of catch some of you up to speed on what we're talking about. And then I want to talk to you for a few minutes about uh, that coming day. Revelation chapter 20. Why don't we begin reading in verse one? And uh, I don't think we'll ever get past verse seven, but we'll we'll read through verse seven. John the Apostle, by the way, this is John the Apostle that was one with Jesus at the end of his life. God gave him this vision of the, the apocalypse or the revelation, the things to come. And John says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss. 
and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw them into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Shall we pray together? Father, take the the word of God and open it up. Open our hearts this morning. I pray that as we delve into this topic that is somewhat confusing and kind of out there a little bit, I pray that your spirit would help us to see your truth in your word and you'd speak into our hearts and lives that we might be prepared for what is to come. So God, come and meet with us. I pray for those who may not yet know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today they would realize that Hosanna... Uh, that the Jesus really is the one who is worthy of our praise because he came and he lived and he died for our sins. So speak into their hearts as well, and we'll give you the glory and the honor for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know what you're thinking. I started out talking about this golden age where everything was going to be great and grand and glorious. And then I read a passage of Scripture that talked about how Satan had to be bound and how he was going to be bound for a period of time and uh, to keep from deceiving. And then he was going to be released. And we kind of read about that. And you're thinking, how in the world can this be a period of the golden age? Well, I, I want to kind of help you understand that the Scripture, this passage of Scripture introduces us to the golden age, this time, this millennial reign of Christ. But it doesn't describe We'll look at a few verses that give us a description. But I, I want to talk to you uh, about, uh, about this whole matter of the millennial reign of Christ. Now, let me just do a little background here. Millennial, the millennial reign stands for the thousand-year reign of Christ. Millie stands for a thousand. Annum is for a year. Thousand years, millennial. So when you hear me say millennium, millennial, I'm talking about the millennial reign of Christ. Now, in order for us to kind of understand that, uh, we want to answer some questions this morning. So I'm going to answer three questions for you. First of all, uh, when is it going to be? Uh, what is it going to be like? And who is it going to be there? Those are the things that we're going to deal with regard to this thousand year reign. Now, before we can do that, I need to catch some of you up because some of you are with us today uh, for the very first time. Some of you are with us today uh, for the first time in a while, and you kind of feel like already that you probably walked in on a movie that has that's just passed intermission, and there's a lot of stuff that's happened, and you're kind of picking up, and you, you've listened a little bit, and you go, I don't really, I've, I've missed something, I don't know what's going on. And so if you feel that way, I understand that. So what I want to do before we get into this is I want to give you the Cliff Notes version so you can kind of be caught up. To where we are today, because beginning on Easter Sunday, I started a, a teaching series on the last things and ultimately the second coming 
and the return of Jesus Christ. And so uh, let me just kind of tell you how we got to this point. And uh, if you want to hear a lot about it, we've got a bunch of messages online. You can go online and check them out. But let me just kind of give you the Cliff Notes version. The Bible teaches that there's going to come a day at the end, when the, the last things kind of begin where Jesus is going to come for his church. Now, when he comes for his church, that doesn't mean every church member everywhere in every church is going to go. When, we, when Jesus comes for his church, he's coming for those who are true believers and true followers of him who have been born again by faith in Christ. Well, the Bible teaches that there's going to be an event. Now, this is kind of like a Steven Spielberg thing, but it's, it's really going to happen. The Bible talks about it in a number of places. But Jesus is going to come, and, and he's going to descend from heaven, and he's going to call out his church. And, and this, the word in the original language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, says that he's going to take out or snatch out his people. Those who believed in him and who died are going to be raised from the grave. Those who believe in him and are still here are going to be taken up. And so in the twinkling of an eye, the church is going to be just snatched away. So that's what theologians call the rapture, but it's the taking away of the church. Now, the reason I say that's kind of like a Spielberg thing, if, just imagine with me for a minute. Just think about this. If three out of ten people are believers in Christ, then three out of ten on that day are going to just kind of be taken out. Now, imagine there are 300 million people in America, give or take a few million, okay? But just for fun. So there's 300 million. So when this happens, all of a sudden, 90 million people are going to disappear. Just gone. Imagine what kind of traffic that's going to be on Mopac that day. I mean, if you go to Walmart that day, you'll never get through the checkout line. I mean, it'll never happen. I mean, it's going. To, I mean, think about it. What if you're on? The, what if? What if you're on an airplane and there's there's 150 people? Fifty of them are gone. What if it's the pilot? So I mean, it, this thing is—it's going to be chaos. It's going—it's going to be like kind of like a, a movie flick. But the church is going to be snatched out, taken away. And the Bible says, "In the twinkling of an eye, not the blink, the twinkling—it's going to happen in a flash in a moment." Now that's going to usher in a period that the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. It's a seven-year period, three and a half pretty good years, three and a half really horrible years. And during this seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to come to. Uh, fruition or he's going to come to light and he's going to influence the world. There's going to be a lot of judgment against the world because of the wickedness of man and the Antichrist is going to be deceiving people. So that thing, that period is going to last seven years. Now we spent about four sermons on it, so I'm not going to go into all that, but it's just going to be bad. You don't want to be here. Trust me. Okay. Just take my word for that. But at the end of that seven year period, the Bible says Jesus uh, will return bodily, physically, and he will come to the earth with the armies of heaven. And there will be a great battle in the Middle East, uh, in the area of Israel. There will be a bunch of armies that are gathered there to attack Israel. And Jesus is going to defeat them. Uh, and when that happens at the second coming, the battle of Armageddon, that will usher in this period. Now, that will conclude Jesus will defeat these armies. The Antichrist, the false prophet, will be cast into the lake of fire. And that kind of gets us to what we just read. 
And then John says, and then I saw, at the end of that, then I saw this angel come down from heaven. And uh, he had this great chain. And he chained the dragon, Satan, and he put him into the abyss. And so that kind of gets us to here. Now, you're saying, well, what does this have to do with the golden age and all this stuff? Well, that begins this period, this millennial thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's the short version. hope you understand that. I hope you're caught up because I'm really fixing to confuse you. Uh, really bad for just a minute. Now, scholars and theologians think of, look at this thousand-year period and they fall in one of three categories. Some of them are what, what we call amillennialists. They believe that there's really not going to be a thousand-year period. Amillennialists just kind of, they tend to be liberal and moderate in their theology or very reformed in their theology. But they just kind of believe that all of Revelation and all the prophecies, even in the Old Testament, about Jesus sitting on the throne over Israel, and they believe all of that is allegory and it's not really, really going to happen, and that we are kind of living in the millennium right now. And that this is kind of as good as it's going to be until we get to heaven. Those are amillennialists. I am not an amillennialist. The second group are called postmillennials. They believe that this thousand-year reign is going to happen, and after that, Jesus is going to come. Um, but they believe that in order for that to happen, the world is going to get better and better and better and better. And the church is going to have such a great influence on the world that everybody's going to come to know God and the place we live is going to be really great. And there were a lot of post-millennials in the 18th and 19th century. And then something happened. We had World War I. And that really messed up their idea that things are going to get better. And then we had World War II. And that really made it hard because you had the Holocaust and all these Jews being killed. And all of a sudden, they started thinking things really aren't getting any better. And then we had Vietnam and we had the Korean War. And now we got all this terrorism and there's wars going on all over the world. And so when you look at the world, it's really not getting any better. Actually, it's kind of getting worse. Well, when you look into the Scriptures, the Bible says in the last times... Things are going to get worse. And so post-millennialists, there's not near as many of them anymore because what, you know, their idea that things are going to get better and then Jesus will come, not only is it not biblical, it ain't really happening. So there's post-millennials, amillennials, then there's a third group called premillennials, and they believe that Jesus will come bodily, physically back to earth, will defeat his enemies, and will reign uh, over the nation of Israel like the Bible talks about. Bef- you know, and then there'll be this thousand-year period. I'm a premillennial, premillennialist. I hope you are. If you aren't, I hope when we're done with this series that that that's will be your theological persuasion. And the reason is, I believe the best biblical evidence is that Jesus will come, and then He will be King over the nation of Israel, and He will reign on the earth for one thousand years, and it will be this golden age. And so, now. That kind of talks to us or tells us uh, a little bit about when it's going to be. And so it's going to be after the rapture, after the tribulation, and after the second coming, then Jesus will reign on the earth for a thousand years. So that answers question one. Second question is, what is it going to be like? 
What is it going to be like? Well, let me give you a couple characteristics of, of what this period is going to be like. First of all, um, it's going to be, um, Satan is going to be restrained. Look in our text there. If you look at chapter 20, verse 1, it says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss. By the way, the abyss, is, that is not really hell in, from the standpoint of it's not the, the lake of fire created for the devil and his angels. Uh, in other places, it's called the bottomless pit. It's kind of a, it's kind of a holding cell, if you will, that Satan's going to be in for a thousand years. He's going to be chained. He's going to be locked in. And, and notice what it says there. It says, uh, holding his great, he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And so during this thousand year reign, Satan is going to be restrained. He will not be deceiving people and therefore sin is not going to abound because there's going to be no deception. There's really going to be no temptation. There's going to be no evil. Now notice what it says about Satan. It, it describes him in four ways. First of all, it calls him the dragon. Uh, as a matter of fact, in, in Revelation, he's called the dragon 12 times. Now, the, the term dragon is because he's ferocious. He's a beast. As a matter of fact, he's a murderer. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He's a killer, a destroyer. And so uh, that's one name that it gives. Well, he, because he's bound, there's not going to be this... Um, I don't know, ferocity, I don't know what the right word is, but there's not going to be all this pillage and killing that's going on. Uh, a second description of him, not only is he called the dragon, but he's called the serpent of old. Remember the Garden of Eden? Who came to Eve and tempted her? The serpent. Okay, the serpent came and deceived and tempted. He's going to be bound, so there won't be the deception there won't be the temptation. Then there's another word that he's called there. He is called the devil. Now, in the original language, the word is diabolos. But the word devil or diabolos means slander or malicious gossip. Have you ever, have you ever had anyone that, uh, that gossiped about you and said some really mean, ugly, nasty things to your friends or to other people about you and, and they really weren't true? You probably had that happen to you. Well, that's what Satan does. He is a malicious, lying, slandering person. And that's what he did to Eve. And that won't be going on during this time period because he's going to be bound and, uh, in the bottomless pit or in the abyss. And then there's a, a fourth definition, and that is the word Satan or Satan, depends on how you like to say it. It's used 53 times in Scripture, but it always means adversary since Satan opposes God, Satan opposes Christ, and Satan opposes you and me uh, who are believers in Christ. And so he's, he's in opposition to us. He's an adversary. Well, the Bible says that during this time he is going to be bound, so he will not have the authority to go out and to deceive and to destroy and to distract and to kill and do all those things. So it's really going to be a, a, a great time uh, relationally and there's going to be a lot of joy, a lot of love and all that good stuff. Secondly, not only will Satan be restrained, but secondly, the Bible says that the Savior will rule. The Lord Jesus will rule. I want you to look down with me all the way uh, to... Uh, let's go to verse 6. It says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign, key word, with Him. They will reign with Him, will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And so Jesus is going to reign here on earth 
as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think we have this on the screen. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. If you'll put that up for me, like it. Let me, let me set this verse up. Do you remember every year at Christmas we, we reviewed the story of the angel coming to Mary. Remember the angel comes to Mary and the angel says, you're going to give birth to a son. Uh, even though you're not married, even though you've never been with a man, you're going to conceive, you're going to give birth to a son, born of a virgin, you're going to give him the name of Jesus, he's going to be the Savior. And, and then he goes on to say, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, going to the next verse, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so what, God, what the angel was saying to Mary was that you're going to have a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. And he's going to grow up. And he's going to be called the son of the most high. He's going to save his people from their sins. And so everybody believes that Jesus, you know, all amillennials, postmillennials, premillennials, all, every Christian believes that Jesus was born to Mary, that he lived a uh, sinless life, that he died on the cross, that God raised him from the dead. And everybody believes that. But what, what a lot of people want to do is they want to kind of stop with the resurrection and say, well, you know, even though Jesus uh, lived and died and was buried and was rose again and, and he died for my sins, he's really not going to come back and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so in order to believe that, you have to take this verse and just say, well, here in the middle... It's, it's not literally more, it's figurative. In other words, he's going to come, he's going to be born of a virgin, literally. He's going to live a literal life. He's going to die a literal death. He's going to be literally raised from the dead. But it's figurative that he's going to come and rule on the throne of Israel. And so you can't, interpretively, you can't do that. So if you believe Jesus lived and that he died and that he rose again, you've got to believe he's coming back. And he's going to reign as king of kings over Israel and of Lord of lords over the whole earth. And so Jesus, what I'm saying is Jesus is going to rule on the earth. Now, what's it going to be, what's it going to be like when that happens? I mean, what is it going to be like here during those days? I'll give you kind of three uh, ideas. Uh, first of all, things are going to change uh, considerably in at least three areas. First of all, uh, there's going to be a change to the human kingdom. Isaiah chapter 2, uh, go ahead and put that up there f- for us, if you will. Isaiah 2 says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Go ahead on. Uh, many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord uh, from Jerusalem. And I think there's one other verse. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now, has that happened on earth now? No. I got online last night and there was, there was about, uh, uh, 30 something people killed yesterday in Pakistan and all kinds of, uh, war and fighting. Uh, there was, uh, I think 20 something in Syria. There was a bunch over in Yemen. There was another group in, in, uh, Gaddafi's place. Uh, all over the world, man, people hadn't beat their shores into, swords into plowshares. 
Man, every, just about every country on earth has some kind of violence going on. So this really hadn't happened yet. And then it goes on to say, nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Hey, we got, I met a guy this morning after the first service. He's in the Navy. He's going back training for war. Why? Because what the Bible talks about hadn't happened yet. But it's going to happen. One day Jesus is going to come. He's going to take his church out. The tribulation is going to happen. He's going to come back again. He's going to reign as king over Israel and as king over the earth. And the human kingdom is going to be different. But also the Bible says the animal kingdom is going to be different. And and I'm going to go there in my Bible. Isaiah chapter 11. Listen to uh, to verse 6. It says, The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will leave them. Well, is that happening on earth now? No. You ride out 2325 and you see the goats in the pasture. What, what do they have with them? They've either got a donkey or a llama. Why? To keep away the what? Coyotes, right? Or they got a dog. Why? Because the lion and the lamb can't lay down together. The wolf and the goat, they can't lay down together. But the Bible says the time's going to come when that happens. And then look at verse 7. It says, The cow will feed with the bear, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. You ever seen, you, you ever seen a lion eating straw like a cow? Hadn't happened yet. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. I tell you what, there ain't a mama in here. If they saw their kid with their hand in a hole outside... In the shrubbery, you'd go ballistic. Because you know, if the viper, if the rattlesnake's in there, it's serious business. But it says that in that day, it's not going to be a bad deal. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here's what I'm saying. The animal kingdom's going to be different. Now, I hate, to, I hate to break this to you. Ain't going to be a lot of fun hunting <laughs> in the millennium. I remember when I was in fifth grade, I had a guy taught my Sunday school. I had this young man teaching Sunday school, and, and he was talking to us about sharing Christ with others. And he came to Sunday school one day, and he said, uh, he said, fellas, he says, I was talking to a buddy of mine about, about uh, being saved. And he says, my buddy said, well, well Chip, is there going to be deer hunting in heaven and Chip so I didn't know you know he said he said I don't know he said the only thing I know to tell him was he said I don't know what there's going to be in heaven but he said I know there's not going to be any deer hunting in hell you know <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be deer hunting in heaven but I'll tell you this in the millennium if you want a deer you just probably walk up put your arm around him kind of like you do over at Wood Creek now <laughs> you know you just go over and feed him some stuff and uh, so it's going to mess up the hunt. But the animal kingdom is going to change. The human kingdom is going to change. And by the way, one other area, real quickly, geographic, the geographical kingdom. In other words, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the climatology is going to be different. Isaiah chapter 35. Listen to, uh, let me just read Isaiah 35. One. I want to read in the King James Version because it helps us. It says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the road when Jesus rules and reigns over the earth. Imagine the desert blossoming like a rose. It'd be kind of like when it rained here and the blue bonnets came up. But 
weather's not going to be an issue there. Because it's going to be... Did you know in the Garden of Eden, they didn't even have rain? It didn't even rain. They didn't need rain. I mean, I've been here for 10 months. In only three days, we didn't need rain of all that time. But it's going to change. The climatology... The, the climate kingdom, however you say that, it's going to change. The animal kingdom is going to change. Why? Because Jesus is going to be ruling on the throne and he's going to be in control and it's going to be a perfect environment. So that's what it's going to be like. Uh, we've talked about when it's going to be real quickly. Who is going to be there? If this is great and awesome place, then we need to know who is going to be there in this millennial time with Christ. Well, let me quickly tell you, and, and we'll wrap this thing up. There's going to be four groups of people that are there. First of all, there's going to be some people, some saints from the Old Testament. Daniel 7, verse 27 tells us, the sovereignty and power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. Who are the saints? People in the Old Testament who believe in God and trusted Him for salvation. So there's going to be a group of saints that are going to be there. Secondly, there's a second group that's going to be there. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 19? I don't know if you, if you kind of remember reading this. But, but Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, the renewal, new animal kingdom, new human kingdom, new climatic kingdom, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his what? On his glorious throne. When he sits on his throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the disciples are going to be there. The Old Testament saints are going to be there. And then there's a third group that's going to be there, and that's the, that's the believers from the New Testament, the, the people who have given their life to Christ, uh, like you and me, if you're a believer, and have become a part of the church. The, the, the church is going to be there. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Notice what it says. It says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? We're going to be there. And then 2 Timothy 2, I think it's verse 12, uh, tells us that uh, we're going to reign with him. And then in Revelation 5.10, it tells us that we are going to reign with him. Now, a lot of people think, well, you know, Mike, that's really, that, that, is that, that's really not talking about the church. That's talking about the people that believe during the tribulation period. Oh, really? Think about this. Jesus calls, and the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ, right? Ephesians chapter 5 and other places. Uh, Revelation 19 begins with the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, why under heaven, if the church is the bride of Christ, why under heaven would Christ come and reign for a thousand years unless he brings with him his bride? Well, he wouldn't do that. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you're part of his bride. And when, when he comes back, you're going to be with him. And so his bride's going to be there. The disciples are going to be there. The saints of the Old Testament are going to be there. And then in our text, we read about a group of martyrs, those who had been beheaded during the Great Tribulation. All the people that come to faith in Christ during this terrible period of tribulation, they're going to be raised to life and they're going to reign with him during this thousand years. And then there's an interesting statement. If you'll go back to chapter 20, there's an interesting statement. And I, and I really need to explain this to you. And then we'll, I promise, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. But, but listen to this statement. It says, 
Let me pick up about verse, uh, let me pick up in verse 5 if I can get my arms long enough to, to read this thing. All right, well, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Okay, the first resurrection. Not one single resurrection, but those who believe in him who have been brought to life. Old Testament saints, disciples, New Testament saints, and those who have raised from the dead, killed during the millennium. But notice what it said. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Really important that you understand this principle. It's really, really important. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, and if you open your heart to Christ, you might die and be buried. But you will only die once. You will die physically, but you will never die spiritually. That's why it says, blessed are those who have a part in the first resurrection. But if you choose not to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you say, well, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just going to take my chances, not really interested in that, you're going to miss the first resurrection and then, and then you will encounter what the Bible calls the second death. You will die physically and then at the final judgment, you will die spiritually. It's called the great white throne judgment. I'll just give you a commercial. We're going to talk about that next week. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to talk about that next week and I'll try to explain that as the, the Bible describes it. But here's the thing. Blessed and holy are those who have a part in the first resurrection. You want to be a part of that. You don't want to miss the millennium. You don't want to miss the rapture. You don't want to be here for the tribulation. And in order for that to happen, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Now, it's interesting because there are a bunch of saints in the Old Testament who are going to come to life and they're going to reign with Christ. And did you know they, they never even knew His name? They never knew who Jesus was. All they know is that Isaiah called Him a suffering servant. But who is? Who is this man, Jesus? Well, more than 2,000 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of nature... He was rich, yet for our sake, the Bible says, he became poor. He lived in poverty, was raised in obscurity. He never had any formal education, never had any training, possessed much wealth, or or had very much influence. As a matter of fact, he hardly ever traveled or hardly traveled extensively at all. In fact, the history tells us he only left his country one time, and most of his life was spent within a hundred-mile radius. His parents were inconspicuous. They had no education, no formal training. Yet in infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. Imagine he walked on the waves and he calmed the storm. The wind and the sea at the sound of his voice laid down like little dogs and little kittens and were were just at peace. He never wrote a book. Not a single book, and yet the libraries of the world can hardly hold the books that are written about him. He, he never wrote a song, but he's the theme for more songs than any, song, any of the other songwriters writers total together. He never practiced medicine, and yet more people have been healed by him 
from diseases. And nobody's ever paid a penny for it. He wasn't a psychiatrist. And yet he's healed more human hearts than anybody in the history of the world. He healed Paul's murderous heart. Peter's denying heart. Thomas's doubting heart. Martha's crowded heart. Nicodemus' confused heart. And the centurion servant's calloused heart. He healed them all because he was the great psychiatrist. All the great statesmen of the world, well, they've come and they've gone. All the scholars of the world, they've come and they've gone. All the world's dictators, they've come and they've gone. But not this man. He reigns supreme. In fact, every single week, the wheels of commerce slow down and multitudes gather in places just like this to worship him. For he is the king. Herod couldn't kill him. The devil couldn't seduce him. His enemies couldn't destroy him. And the grave couldn't hold him. He reigns at the highest pinnacle of heaven's glory. He's the joy of his father. He's admired by angels. He's adored by believers like you and me. And he's feared by the demons of hell because he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day the Bible says this Jesus is going to descend from heaven. And he's going to place his feet on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. He's going to walk down that mountain and he's going to go through the eastern gate. And he's going to walk into the temple over Jerusalem. And he's going to sit down on the throne over Israel. And then from that day, this king, this Jesus, will reign for forever and forever and forever. What a glorious day that is going to be. Are you going to be with him? Are you going to reign with him? To reign with him, you must know him. And to know him, you must surrender your life to him. Do you know him today? Do you? Do you know him? Maybe the better question, last night I couldn't sleep and I thought about this. Does he know you today? See, in Matthew 7, 21, it says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And it goes on to say, Oh, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I serve in Bible school? Wasn't I an American? Lord, didn't I do this? And And it says there, Jesus is going to look at them and say, Depart from me. I never knew you. And so the question that each of us must wrestle with today, do you know him, but more importantly, Does he really know you? Have you given your heart to him? Have you given your life to him? Would you surrender to him today? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. If you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, my hope and my prayer for you is that today, sitting right where you are, You would pray a simple prayer of faith and you would surrender your life 
to Jesus Christ. You would invite him to come into your heart, not make you a Baptist, not make you a Methodist, but make you a follower of Jesus Christ. And some of you here this morning, you've never yet turned away from your way of living. You've never yet repented of your sin. You've never yet invited Jesus Christ to come live in your heart and be the Lord of your life. Would you do that today? Today, sitting right where you are, would you pray a simple prayer and ask Christ to come live in your heart and to be Lord over your life? Would you say this prayer to Him? Lord Jesus, I realize today that you died for my sin, that you're coming again, and you're going to be reigning as King and as Lord. And today, Jesus, I want to open my heart to you. Today, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I want you to know me. So Jesus, would you come live in my heart? Give me a new life. And give me a new start. I trust you, Jesus, to forgive my sin and to save me. Friend, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My greatest hope for you, my greatest hope is that you would open your life to Jesus Christ today. If you've never been born again, give your heart to him today. One day he's going to come. It might be soon. And you need to be ready. If you prayed and invited him to come into your heart this morning, my hope is that you'd have the courage to profess him publicly. Perhaps you want to come in just a moment and share with Wyatt or with Kyle that you give your life to Christ. Maybe some of our students have done that this week. Some of you are adults. Today's your first day here, but yet you realize this morning you need to open your heart to Christ. Would you just ask him, Jesus, give me the courage to acknowledge you publicly. Father, I pray in these moments that you'd have your will and your way in every one of our hearts and every one of our lives and we'll give you the glory and the honor for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Look at me for just a moment. Some of you, I know today's your very first time and maybe it's your very first time in a Baptist church and you thought, wow, that's, a, that's heavy stuff. It is. But it's right out of the book. It's going to happen. And because it's going to happen, you need to be ready. And the Bible says to be ready, you need to know Jesus. And the Bible says in order to know Jesus, you have to decide, I want to ask him to come live in my heart and forgive my sin. When you do that, you get baptized just like Jeff and Fernanda to declare to the world your allegiance to Jesus. So if you've invited him into your life, we want to encourage you to... Uh, 
to come for baptism. Obviously, you don't have to get baptized today, but the guys are going to be here. We'd love to talk with you about your decision. Or it might be that you say, you know, Pastor, I'm not ready to walk down in front of all these people. I do want to give my life to Christ. So let me ask you to do this. In the pew in front of you, there's a little card, a registration card. It says, Welcome Design. Why not write down your name and your phone number and your address? And just mark that little box that says, I prayed and asked Christ into my life today. I received Christ. You can fold it over, drop in the offering plate. Me or White or Kyle will give you a call this week. And we'll talk to you about what it means to have Christ in your life. Friend, I promise you on the authority of his book, if you'll give your life to him, he'll change you forever. Forever.